Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 172 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Kozlik. Thanks for joining us for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I have the great pleasure of interviewing Berta Gonzalez Nieves. She's the co-founder and CEO of Casa Dragones Tequila, a brand that's focused on creating delicious small batch tequila and leading the charge when it comes to innovation in the agave spirits category. We'll talk about what all that means in just a moment, but first, let's give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Michaloma. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of tequila Casa Dragones Blanco, which is, of course, their Blanco expression, three quarters of an ounce of Chinar, one half ounce of grapefruit juice, and four to six ounces, or roughly half a can or bottle of your favorite lager. In a cocktail shaker, combine the Blanco tequila, chinar, and grapefruit juice, and shake vigorously over ice for about 15 seconds until the ingredients are properly mixed and diluted. Then strain into a pint or highball glass with a salted rim top with about, again, that half bottle of your favorite Mexican lager and enjoy. This cocktail was developed by bartender Pablo Pasti at the bar Licoreria Limantur in Mexico City. And in case you're not familiar with this mashup of a cocktail, it's basically a funky herbal cross between a michelada and a paloma. The paloma, of course, is a combination of grapefruit soda and tequila, and the michelada is a beer tail that inhabits the Bloody Mary universe. Here's why I think the michelada is such a savvy spinoff of both these cocktails. First, we have the Chinar coming out of left field. It's not neither the Paloma or the Michelada, not even a little, but I think what it's doing here is saying, hey, you're missing some sugar from the grapefruit soda, so I'm gonna bring some sweetness to the game, but it's gonna be balanced by vegetal herbal bitterness and complexity. Also, if we're taking the tomato juice out of the Michelada, I think it's only fitting that we have some vegetable matter in there, courtesy of the artichoke in the Chinar. Second, we need to keep in mind that beer tails generally act different than cocktails, you know, for the most part. But if you've ever done that thing where you squeeze an orange slice into your favorite German Hefeweizen, I don't think it's a stretch to dump some grapefruit juice into your Mexican lager. It makes complete sense, at least to my palate. So now that you've got a delicious fusion drink to make for your next brunch date, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this delicious conversation and spirits tasting with Berta Gonzalez Nieves of Casa Dragones Tequila, some of the topics we discuss include how Berta came to small batch tequila by way of a company we've all heard of, Grupo Jose Cuervo. She talks about her time working with one of the world's largest purveyors of agave spirits and how it launched her into her current venture. What it means to be certified as a maestra tequilera and why this trade certification is particularly special in Berta's case. Then, to my great delight, we jump right into the Casa Dragones portfolio. The marks that we taste through in order are their Blanco tequila, their innovative Hoven expression, and then finally their barrel blend. Of course, I provide nosing and tasting notes, but we also get pretty granular speaking about the production methods for each spirit. We cover the mineral profile of the Mexican transvolcanic belt, the process of blending aged and unaged agave distillates to create a new product altogether, and even the art of selecting barrels using Cecile oak, which is different from traditional Limousin French oak. Some of the things I really enjoy about Berta are her passion for the agave spirits community at large and her respect for that balance that always seems to come up when we talk about mezcal and tequila, the respect for tradition that must be weighed against the natural and, in my opinion, valuable impulse to innovate. As a closing remark, I will say this. I spend probably more time in the mezcal space than the tequila world, but 
I've had my fair share of tequilas. Without a doubt, the Casa Dragones lineup is one of the most compelling trios of agave spirits to reside under one roof. There are some truly special flavors in these bottles, so if you're looking for that special purchase for a holiday gift or as a way to really treat yourself, I'd certainly recommend upgrading your bar to include Casa Dragones tequila. With that, please enjoy this fun and flavorful conversation with Berta Gonzalez Nieves. Berta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Excited to be here tonight. So before we jump in to the beautiful tequila that we have here in front of us, could you, for our listeners, just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? I'm an entrepreneur in the spirits industry, and I'm the founder and CEO of Tequila Casa Dragones. I'm from Mexico City, and uh, I fell in love with that category in my early 20s. And uh, I've been, you know, dealing with this agave love affair since then. Um, and uh, it's been 12 years since I founded my own company. And we founded Casa Dragones with the objective of actually uh, being part of the tequila producers that are pushing the conversation of tequila production into the future and using modern and sustainable processes to deliver the highest possible quality while truly surprising the tequila lover with expanding that tequila repertoire in terms of taste. So um, we feel very lucky every day to have the opportunity to dedicate ourselves to what we love and also more lucky when we have the chance to actually present our products and people actually fall in love with them. I have had the pleasure of having some really, really excellent conversations about agave spirits on this podcast so far with people like Lou Bank from Sacred Agave and his his partner Chava Pediban from the Agave Road Trip podcast. And you know, one of the things that we always end up talking about is that balance between tradition and innovation in agave spirits. It seems like that is one of the most important lines that you need to tread. You, you know, you need to strike a very specific balance in that. So I'm very excited to to talk about, of course, both the tradition and the innovation that is going on in the agave community at large. And then, of course, with uh, Tequila Casa Dragones in particular. Uh, but I would love if you could give our listeners a little bit more of your background, because you actually, before founding your current brand, worked for some some pretty big brands, and I was curious to to hear a little bit about that experience and how it planted the seed for what you're doing right now. So, um, so after I got selected by the Japanese government to represent Mexico in a program in Japan and had the opportunity to fall in love with a category, um, I had the I mean I I decided that I wanted to dedicate my career to the tequila industry, so I went and knocked on the doors of the industry and ended up working for the Beckman family that at that time owned uh, Cuervo 1800 and many other brands of tequila. And uh, the history of that company is really pretty much the history of tequila in its own way. So I really had the opportunity to fall in love with the industry from within. And uh, what I learned from there was, you know, the love of the craft and the I can tell you, I was there for more than a decade and I have so much respect for them from what they've done with a category and also what they've done as a family. But really, um, it kind of like gave me the opportunity to continue to be curious about the category, learning every day about the category until the day that came that I decided that I really wanted to do my own versus actually producing someone else's. Um, but what it gave me, it gave me kind of like the foundation of the breadth of what can be done in the category, you know, because they produce so many different styles of tequila and brands that um, it really gave me the opportunity to admire their principles and their and their and 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 the history of the company, but also have the opportunity to learn from within. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. What did you do day to day? Did did you hold a, a number of positions with the company so that you were able to experience that breadth and scope of the category? Or were you sort of in one specific aspect of, of the market? No, I mean, I, I held uh, five different positions while I was there. So I changed positions every two years. 
and um, and that really gave me the opportunity to uh, to really be curious about a lot of different aspects of the business. Yeah. Until I realized that I have more of a heart of an entrepreneur than uh, than not. So that's when I decided to actually go on my own. It's interesting to me that you say that you fell in love with the industry from within because in many cases, I find that that's where people are are spoiled, where, where the industry is spoiled for some people. So for example, you go into a, a high-end restaurant and uh, at the end of a shift, you see the chef eating junk food as opposed to the three Michelin star food he has been preparing for his guests for the entire evening, for example. I'm, I'm curious, what about the tequila or agave industry in general you happen to fall in love with that that triggered that entrepreneurial realization in you? You know, tequila is uh, really so much part of the social fabric of Mexico. And the way that I, um, I just really truly fell in love with the professionalism and dedication that I found in the craft. You know, that has nothing to do with corporations. It has to do with the passion of people and what they do for the business. And I really think that that's that common glue that puts the spirits industry together. Um, so for me, it was more about the individuals that made this industry what it is rather than, you know, anything else. And I think for me, that was the biggest uh, um, attraction. You know, it's about, you know, the industry, most all industries, but at least I can speak for my own. It's about people. And, uh, and that's, you know, what I, uh, what I, where I learned so much from and what I'm more attracted to. Yeah, it, it certainly helps if, if you're able to, um, you know, go in, go into work and enjoy the atmosphere as opposed to just the task that you're doing. Uh, and, and as somebody who certainly shares the entrepreneurial spirit that you have, um, I'm, I'm curious about how you were able to transition from a career in corporate tequila uh, to one where you were starting your own brand from the ground up. So can you tell us the story of Casa Dragones and how you built the brand starting in the early days? And then, of course, we we have a few specimens that we're going to get into here in a few minutes to, to find out exactly where we stand today. So the, the whole like idea or dream of becoming an entrepreneur was because we wanted to produce the best possible product we could do. And uh, that was part of the experience, you know, like I, we were like, at the very least, if we get the chance to produce the best, leave our dream through our product, um, we're going to get our yayas out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it started with one product and it started with uh, Casa Dragones Joven, which is the first product we brought to market. And the idea of this product was to, and continue to be a tequila that actually proves that tequila can be, compete with other sipping spirits, um, like cognacs and single malts and whiskeys, but also can pair well with food, whether it's Mexican, Italian, Japanese, French, and so on. So uh, this product really enabled us to establish ourselves. So this is the heart of who we are as a producer. You know, we started with like, we really wanted to be intellectually and academically and from a taste profile, very different. Um, and we thought if we can do one product and we can do it really well, we really have a chance of becoming someone in our own category. So um, we, you know, we just went for it. And uh, we did this for the first five years of the existence of Casa Dragones. And uh, it continues to be our pride and joy. Um, it's a more complex, more intellectual product, uh, but it really like uh, the, the, the combination of a white, a five-year-old extra age tequila enabled us to really deliver a very unique taste profile in the category that enabled us to ourselves in the tequila industry. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'll be honest with you. I have not, I've had these bottles for, for a few weeks now. 
They've been sitting on my shelves, taunting me, asking me, begging me to taste them. I have not. I've resisted because I wanted my reactions on this podcast to be honest and and completely, you know, uninformed by anything. Uh, I just nosed it, the the Hoven, and it is it's incredible. I can't wait to jump into it with you. But uh, one one thing I I think you you may be omitting is is a bit of a a first that that you have kind of pioneered for for women in the tequila industry and and I think that some of that underpins this product and the other products in the Casa Dragones portfolio and that that you are the first maestra tequilera in Mexico is that correct That is correct What what was that process like Um you know for me the process was I had already been 12 years in the tequila industry and um my um one of my partners who is my mentor and the other maestro tequilero in Casa Dragones who's Benjamin Garcia um he told me why don't you get your title and I was like I'm like an entrepreneur I'm raising capital I'm like building my company I'm flying the plane while I'm building it and I said Benjamin do you think I really have do I look like I have time to go right now and get a title of some sort he's like just don't be so stubborn just go call them and see you know if they will take you so I called them and they said, listen, yeah, we will consider your, your years in the industry and you can apply and so on. So I did it and I got my title. I didn't know I was the first woman. Then I had a press interview and they told me, go and call and ask them how many women is there. And then they told me, what do you mean? This one, you were the first one. I didn't know that. That was not my intention. But um, I really, I'm proud of that because uh, I really want to make sure that um this, this industry, all industries are not, they're for the people that are curious about the industries. They're, they're not gender specific. They're curious specific. They're professionally specific. So um, I'm, I'm excited about what's to come and I'm excited about leaving the, you know, when you're running relays, right? I feel like I'm just running a relay. And I feel like I, I'm going to get as far as I can, and then I'm going to leave that relay for the next generation, whether female or, or male, it doesn't matter. It's more about how far can we take the appellation of origin of tequila? How far can we actually go? How far can we prove the world that tequila can actually you know, compete with any other spirit in the world? That is kind of like my what I'm after. I think that's a really uh, healthy mindset for the industry. It's it's, it's uh, not a selfish mindset whatsoever. Um, one follow-up question about the maestra slash maestro tequilera um, designation or title. Um, it seems like, you know, they were able to consider your years spent in the industry with Cuervo and the other brands that you worked for, uh, were there any other aspects? Like if someone no, I had to happened- do an exam, I had to study, I had to pass a test, I have to do other things. Got it. Got it. That must be sort of a really nice thing to have in your back pocket as you know, you're doing all those things. Like you said, do, do I, does it look like I have time for this? I'm raising capital. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm creating our brand materials. I'm developing market strategies. Uh, it seems like having that knowledge in your back pocket, even, even if it's, you know, even if you didn't need it personally to be formalized in the way that it was, it seems like a really great asset to have on your side as you are developing this portfolio of products that, as you say, is supposed to be a little bit more intellectual, a little bit different than most tequilas on the market. It, it seems like a differentiator while trying to pitch your differentiated product. So I think that's a, I, I think it's a great story. I think it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and one of the things that strikes me about your products is that when I take them out of their beautiful boxes and regard their beautiful packaging and knows them as I have with your Hoven, they make a lot of sense, even though I don't know the story. And so I would love for you to um, maybe, uh, assuming that the Hoven is the first one we should taste here, maybe we should jump into a tasting and then then you can tell a little bit of the, the brand story of Casa Dragones and, and what you're trying to kind of accomplish in, in the consumer's consciousness as, as we enjoy these spirits. Yeah, so we can start with Hoven. I'm using the Riedel Overture tequila glass that we use for professional tastings. This is the actual glass that's actually 
used today for competitive tastings. Um, and uh, it proves the power of, uh, of the glass. But uh, so Joven is, uh, first of all, is an overlooked style in the tequila category. You mostly hear about Blanco Reposado and Añejo. And this is a blend of a white tequila with a five-year-old extra aged tequila. And the, we do the blend and at the end of the process, we take the color aged tequila out because we learned that in order to pair with food, we had much more permission to do it without color than with color. And we're modern producers. Again, we're trying to push the conversation of tequila production into the future. So we took every risk you can actually on Hoven. Um, we did a rare blend. We, did, we brought up style of tequila that is not in the marketplace regularly. And then we actually, um, the name Casa Dragones comes from this cavalry that masterminded the movement of Mexican independence. So we want to be perceived in the industry as modern and rebellious producers um, that are really not afraid to go on our own. So Joven actually represents the, what we're all about. And uh, the idea was to prove that we can compete with other sets, but also we can pair tequila with other cuisines other than Mexican cuisines. So we can actually pair it with Japanese or French or Italian or American cuisine. It's, you know, tequila is not only the lover of Mexican cuisine, it also has a space in other cuisines. And if we can prove that on our journey, we feel like we've done our job. You know, because then there's so many other tequilas that can come after us and prove this with us uh, because it really has the plant Agave Azul Tequilana Weber, which is a plant that um, is such a special plant um, that um, can produce such special complexity and balance that can actually seduce the palate of top chefs in the world to do very unique pairings. Yeah, I, I love uh, the pairing with food idea. I think we'll continue to return to that as we speak about the product here. Um, <laughs> one of the things that that I'm noticing about this is that it does not smell as one would expect a tequila to smell. And I imagine that that has a great deal to do with, obviously, the blending process with the the uh, the um, the Blanco with the with the aged tequila and then the the filtering out of the the color seems somewhat secondary and in, in terms of the aroma uh certainly the color is, is very important to that but so what we're trying to do with the experience of taste we're trying to push out the experience of you know we're really trying to take out the alcohol notes out and push the complexity that the plant has to offer to the front of the experience of taste but that i cannot really acknowledge that to be you know, the process we're following or the quality of the agave that we have, it's like it's a conjunction of factors that enable us to get there, uh, to deliver something actually that what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to actually sip and savor. The name Sipping Tequila is on the label right there. It says Sipping Tequila. Mm -hmm. And that is because we want you to give us a chance to sip and savor. We want you to give us a chance to actually um, take a moment to um, enjoy what we've been able to produce. Yeah, and it, it's it's certainly. I mean, not only is it a beautiful bottle, but I, I just took my first sip here, and um, it is remarkable in terms of I I would say the difference between the nose and the palate. I I, I always secretly enjoy spirits where the nose and the palate offer different things that you can kind of consider one beside another. And for me, on the nose, the Hoven was incredibly grassy with this this really dense core that that went beyond grass almost to fruit. Um, I, I can't I can't do a better job describing it than that right now, unfortunately, because I don't have too many food words, but it is certainly, it's a deep green nose. It reminds me something of open fermented uh, cane cane products. Like it, it reminds me of some Clarins that I've encountered. So you're getting the floral and the citrus notes of the Blanco tequila. Yeah. 
balanced with the sweetness and the spice of the extra aged tequila. So this is like this like love affair of two styles, but neither one of the styles is governing the experience. It's, you know, when you are using an aged tequila and a blanco tequila, it's very easy to let one or the other lead the experience. This is really about letting them, you know, come together to give you this very unique taste experience. You know, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to expand the tequila repertoire through taste and quality. We want, if everybody's here, we want to be here. We want to be over here. So yeah. like we just really want to continue to convince a tequila lover that tequila has so much to offer. Yeah. And, and one of the things similarly on the palate with this, what I get is uh, you get that racy, almost saline minerality from the Blanco balanced out with the with the spice from the barrel. And uh, again, I, I think it's remarkable in that those two expressions don't step on one another, that they, they that one doesn't drown the other out. Um, and I think from a consumer standpoint, one of the least known and and therefore least appreciated aspects of creating uh, beautiful spirits is, is the blending of these things. Uh, is, is there anything special that goes into blending different batches of, um, we can t speak specifically about the Hoven, but maybe maybe a couple of the other expressions uh, are, are good examples as well. Uh, because because agave, it, it's an agricultural product. At the end of the day, agricultural products differ from year to year, from place to place. And so in, in your endeavor to create something that is consistent and that, that consistently um, achieves this wonderful balance. Um, what are some of the aspects of production that you need to take into account? So what you're trying to do as a producer, taste is defined by a bell-shaped curve, right? Anything that falls within that bell-shaped curve is a consistent taste but there are nuances to it because um, we're dealing with natural characteristics. So as long as we can deliver a consistent experience, that consistency is not perfect. Yeah. So, so you're saying that it's, you're, what you're saying is that there's, there's a distribution and that what you're trying to do is, is not hit the same single point in that distribution every time It's that you're trying to, communicate to consumers that when they pick up your product off the shelf, it is going to fall within, within that, within that range. Well, you will always feel it's like what you're finding that you're buying for. And um, the idea as producers is that we want to make sure that we're delivering for you like a consistent experience. Um, but you can talk to me or you can talk to any other spirit producer. Consistency is within a parameter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think in a way, like, uh, we're so far away from production processes, you know, as consumers. So um, I think that as long as uh, we're delivering something within nature that you can actually deliver to consumers, I think that uh, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, well, at least that's what we've been doing. Yeah, and obviously it's been working out rather well if, if the bottle in front of me is any indication. So, um, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, before we move on, I would like to speak with you a little bit about the classification of Hoven in tequila because it is a term that we find in the mezcal space quite often. Um, can you explain why we don't see it as often in the tequila space? The only way I can answer this question is that everybody has been so focused on doing Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo. They've been so like laser focused that that's why you have not seen any exploration. It makes sense. Now, the other thing is like, if um, you are um, branching out of what you see on the shelf, it's taking a risk, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, in that respect, I, I, it's obviously a, a great 
product to use to set the tone of your portfolio? As you said, this was the, the single product for, for I mean, quite a while. When you go out of the realm of like what people know, you have to really commit to it to explaining why. So I think that yeah. um, not everybody wants to do that. It's uh, it's difficult, right? Uh, you put in, you, you know, you have to put in more work, and and sometimes that's scary. I mean, to me, the Blanco Reposado Añejo lineup makes intuitive sense. It's the rule of threes. Three three makes sense to people. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's it is you know it, it's a it's a sacred number, and it it it, it feels right. Um, and yet we still have. Three spirits that we're tasting here today, they, they just don't necessarily fit into those um, specific molds. So uh, knowing that that what you started with was this beautiful hoven that um, kind of bends some of the traditional expectations that we have about tequila, uh, what was the next product that you developed and um, how, how do you think about that in relation to the hoven? So... You know, many of our clients and our friends were saying like, oh, Berta, we love your hoven, but you're very strict. We can't serve it on the rocks. We can put it in the freezer. We can't do a margarita, like all these things. And um, so that's when we thought that right next step for us was to actually go back to the drawing board. And uh, we thought that the right next step for us was to expose the purity of our agave and our soil and our water and expose that as our next step as a producer, right? We're trying to tell a story. So for us to bring a Blanco that is very herbaceous, very green, very pure, that was our ambition. And it really came out of the trade that uh, we decided to go that on that direction. So that's where our Blanco came along. Yes, I'm, I'm nosing it for the first time right now. And uh, it, it's certainly, it's it's more subtle on the nose than the hoven. We like you know I, I, those. Uh, it, it's funny when when I was nosing the hoven, uh, the barrel notes to me didn't come out until you kind of explained them, and then I was able to say, okay, oh yeah, there's the sweetness, there's the vanillins, um, you know, in in conjunction with the grassiness. But now that I I taste the blanco, it's just like. It's so much drier. It's so mineral. It's so um, it's it's it has a it doesn't have a fresh cut grass quality to it because it's not you, there's no grass. But yeah, it's herbaceous. It, it's, it's very great. It's it's uh oh both both of these expressions are so unique in their aromas and um. I wonder if this might be the appropriate time uh, for you to speak a little bit about the terroir of the uh, agave that you use. Is there any, uh, obviously this is tequila, so you're, as you mentioned, using the blue Weber agave, but is there anything about the sourcing, the cultivation, the atmospheric or meteorological conditions that, that make your stuff special? Of course. So within the Appalachian of origin, there's five states where you can actually harvest agave azul tequila and agüero. So you have Jalisco, which 80% of the land designated for the Appalachian of origin falls on the state of Jalisco. But then you have Michoacán, Nayarit, Guanajuato, and Tamaulipas. So what's really amazing about this is not only about the agave, it's about the water. You know, in every single bottle that you see, there's 40% tequila, 60% water. The water is such a main actor in the novella that um, it's important to talk about the water, you know, because uh, we have access to natural aquifers that come from the volcano of tequila. And we have the opportunity to actually like treat that water to give it the right mineral profile to harmonize our tequila. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm really proud of that about that and um everybody shows up with their blanco you know everybody shows up with the blanco it's like a thing you know it's like a black belt thing in karate you know you show up with your blanco tequila so um it's very green very herbaceous very pure very beautiful and very different you know we wanted to make sure that we had the same relationship we have with chefs 
we have with mixologists where you find these like very beautiful blanco tequila that can be hold its own neat but also can actually uh, perform really well in uh, signature cocktails and um, it really has to do with a terroir we are right at the heart of, me of the mexican transvolcanic belt in tequila jalisco we're more about the richness of the soil the semi-arid and semi-humid combination of soil in that region uh, that's filled with obsidian rock, uh, that's volcanic soil that really has silicium, potassium, phosphorus, and many other characteristics that are critical for our business. And um, we're all about the details and less about the volume production, you know? Um, our batches are no larger than 500 cases per batch. And um, we are here to please the lover. And, uh, and that's what we do on a regular basis. And we're going to try and do that as long as we can. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in the American consciousness, at least, people do not tend to regard Mexico as a particularly volcanic region. Uh, we think of places on, uh, you know, the, the Pacific coast of the United States. We think of, you know, the, the ring of fire around the Pacific. We think of, you know, some places in the Mediterranean. Uh, but we don't tend to think of Mexico as a particularly hot spot for volcanic activity. And yet there's such a, a, a long history of that happening. So I think, I think that's just bad marketing for, for what it's worth. Cause there is a great deal of, of volcanic activity there. And obviously, uh, that, that lends itself to incredibly unique soil. And as you mentioned, the aquifer plays into that. Um, when I nose this tequila, I, I get this beautiful floral note as well. It's, it's not quite a marigold, but it is, it's somewhere between a marigold and a white flower that I can't remember the name of it's there's something really beautiful and delicate about it and yet you know when you taste it it's it's uh again it's it's one of those experiences where where the the palate and the aroma they inform one another but they're certainly they're certainly very different what, what do you tend to um communicate to folks when uh they taste this uh blanco expression well i mean this this blanco expression celebrates it's very herbaceous, very green, very fresh, which is very much like mirror to the agave plant. You know, it's like, a, it celebrates all the beauty of the pureness of this incredible plant. And we hope that we can seduce the palates of all these tequila lovers, you know, with that, for, our, for, for us, it's really more about like what we can do with our passion and our dedication um, we're working for, we're really working for, in my heart, I may be wrong, you may disagree, but we're working for the people that love tequila. Uh, well, you've certainly seduced me into wanting some oysters right now. Uh, is, is that an uncommon pairing with this, uh, with this Blanco? Not at all. So, uh, the Blanco with the oysters is really special. Um, uh, my father used to love oysters. So we used to have a journal and um, where we took notes about the oysters from all over like uh, the Americas. And um, I think that the Blanco with oysters is really has a, a very special, uh, you have like the tininess and you have like the, the mineralness of the oysters then blended with a tequila is really special. Um, but again, it's all about like uh, where you are Ge ge geographically and what you can get from the oysters. Yeah. I, I feel like this Blanco is sort of like the Chablis of tequila. It's, it's just this beautiful, like it's, it's minimal in its expression. Obviously it's, it doesn't have as much going on as the Hoven, but it's, it's just bursting with character despite that sort of minimal sort of like, we're just giving you what the soil and the weather are giving us expression. Um, and in, in that respect, I love it. I mean, it's, um, you know, for, for listeners, I, I do need to call out that, that we are in the premium category here. This is not 
bottom shelf. This is not middle shelf. This is not craft. This is premium. And, uh, you know, there, there's a number of quality indicators that we've spoken about so far that to me call that out. Obviously there's a batch size restriction that you place on yourself, no more than 500 cases per batch. Um, what does that look like in total liters or gallons of production, Berta? Well, I mean, 500 cases per batch, the leaders of our category produce 2 million cases. Mm -hmm. So that's, we're little. No, yeah. we're little with a mighty heart. We want to be bigger. <laughs> we're little with a mighty heart. A mighty heart and beautiful packaging. Um, can, can you speak a little bit about um, the way that you have decided to put these on the shelves in the beautiful boxes with you know, the, the beautiful materials that we have right here that sort of accompany each, um, you know, each bottle, um, like it just, it seems so well done. And I'm, I'm wondering the path that led you to this particular brand image and, and you must love it because it's sitting all right behind you on the screen right now. You have a beautiful display right now. Um, tell us about it. Well, Eric, this is what I do for a living. So I'm very proud of it for sure. Um, um, I can't tell you I'm not. Uh, I think that um, it's all about the values of what we're trying to com communicate for us, you know, as a producer. Um, we are lucky that we get to do what we love, number one. And you can resonate that with me because you are doing this podcast because you love spirits. So we feel... I still feel very lucky every day of the week that I can actually do a batch of 500 cases per batch and put it on the shelf. I mean, for me, that's kind of like my special juice. And then the other thing that's really important to us is that we have the chance to innovate. We have the chance to explore. We have the chance to go out there and figure out how can we surprise that tequila lover? What can we do differently? What can do? What can we bring to them that has never brought to them before? And that's our commitment. Well, you've certainly uh, surprised and delighted my palate with the first two expressions that we've tasted here. Um, I'm I'm curious to see what the, what the third and uh, ostensibly barrel aged expression has in store. So, would would you be willing to walk me through the uh, the aged expression? The um, of course. The the, uh, the barrel blend, yes. So after 10 years of doing our Blanco, for first our Hoven for 10 years and our Blanco for five, we, we really started like being curious about what was the next stage for us. And both Benjamin and I started being very curious about aged tequilas. And um, so we trapped, we COVID was not here yet, thankfully. So we had the chance to travel around the world and interview Cooper Edges um, in different parts of the world to really understand who had the patience and the dedication to like actually go with us on this journey to figure out how we can innovate in the tequila category. So we found this Cooper Edge out of like Bordeaux that was not in a hurry at all, that actually we had so much fun. And, um, and we found um, this beautiful um, forest in the heart of Bordeaux called Cecile wood that uh, is a much less perfumed wood than the traditional uh, French oak. And um, that most like most well-known uh, you know, wine producers in France that use uh, Opus One and Chateau Margaux and so on uses actually producer but for us it was more about like how can we actually bring something different to the table and um, it's a blend of a french oak with an american oak that actually led us to bring these very much more drier more complex and really beautiful result of an aged tequila to the category that i think is very different it certainly smells different. Uh, I'm not willing to taste it just yet because I'd like to get some more details on this oak, right? Because because I, I feel like for a barrel aged product, the selection of the oak, the the 
the char of the barrels is sort of the fingerprint that you leave on a product. And, and based on the first two that we've tasted here, I would expect uh, nothing less than, than a, a very precise approach from you. So I'm curious about, obviously there's some color here. It's not, there, there's not, it's, it's certainly not as dark as a, a bourbon or a scotch, but, it, but there is some color here. So I'm wondering uh, if this was charred or toasted, what percentages of the barrels were treated in what ways. Um, you certainly don't have to reveal the entire secret recipe to us, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the color that I'm seeing so that maybe I can trace a path between some of the aroma and flavor notes. Okay, so put yourself in my shoes for two seconds. So we're able to travel around the world interview all these different cooperages, then like commit to one, do custom made casks for us, custom made, right? We're like a little, little player, we do casks, um, where we find this like Cecile wood, which is in the heart of Bordeaux, which is like 300 to 200 year old, like forests that are like, this wood is like, it's not too sweet, it's not too tart, it's not too, like, it's like the most, I mean, it's such a beautiful wood. And then we like uh, fell in love with this American oak in Missouri and Pennsylvania. So we have these two custom-made casks that at the end of the process, we actually blend. So after going to all that effort, do you think we wanna have an opinion in that color? We were like, just whatever comes out of it, we're going to embrace it. We're so grateful to have the opportunity to actually buy new cask, custom-made cask, and then whatever comes out. So this is more like a Chardonnay mm -hmm. color. Exactly. So so you're saying that you... Not a traditional Añejo color, which is fine, but it's not a traditional Añejo taste either because an Añejo taste is more like vanilla-oriented. Mm -hmm. we, we wanted in our effort in this exercise, the whole idea was to let the tequila push through the rather than the wood push into the tequila. Right. So having a really fresh perspective on the taste of an aged tequila was more important than anything else. So to clarify, this was none of the wood that you aged this in was, uh, was toasted or charred, correct? Well, no, we have a little magic in there. There is a toasting, there is a cer certain treatment that we're doing to the wood, but what you're getting in the color of the glass is a natural experience of our tequila aged in our custom-made batch, yeah. adding any, anything. This is it, this is what you're getting. So we thought, why, why won't we celebrate that? Sure. Sure. No, I just, I wanted to make sure because, because, you know, when, when people see this, they're going to say, well, there's some color on there. There's got to be something. And so I wanted to determine whether this was a very small amount of like char four or char five, or if it was sort of uniform across the board, but it sounds like. No, this is, this is what you're getting. Yeah. This is the product we're selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um it is beautiful. I, I think the Chardonnay color is exactly right on um, for folks who are just listening, and um, it is like, you know, you know what's interesting to me is is almost it, it's certainly not exactly what I'm about to say, but but when I compare the Hoven to uh, the the barrel aged product. I, I think the Hoven is almost a little bit richer and sweeter for whatever reason. It I, and, and so I, I, it's a super compelling to me because I love dry products. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy bourbons. I do enjoy um, some of the finer aged brandies, but I always find myself leaning further and further in the direction of products that are dry. And, and, and this it's not, it's not dry in that it actually physically dries your palate with, with tannins or polyphenols, but, but it's dry in that it allows you to simply assess what happens when you take a beautiful tequila and you put it in some beautiful barrels. And I think that's, that's sort of the process we, that you were describing. Mm. Um, wow, that, this has been a really um, compelling tasting session for me. Um, 
Is there anything else specifically about these products um, that we've sort of tasted through in succession here that, that you want to tell our listeners before we uh, cover a couple more questions and then hit the lightning round? Um, no, just like a, give us a chance as, you know, give us a chance as producers to go on a tasting journey and, um, and just, I, I think that what's really important is that we're aspiring for more as producers. So if, uh, if the listeners are curious enough and they're going to go and try one of our products, I think that uh, we would appreciate them being as curious as we are to kind of like go on the experience of taste. Yeah. And it's certainly compelling. I mean, one of the things that I forgot to mention before, you know, I got, I got, I got excited about the barrels, but, but one of the things that I forgot to mention is that, you know, as I knows this, this Añejo expression, I get, I get notes of, of cedar and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a almost, it's not smoky, but it is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very woodsy aroma to me. It's slightly sappy. Um, you know, you, you, you taste the, you taste the life in the wood, not the life that was burned out of the wood, if that makes sense. Um, vanillins are great. Caramels are great. Um, you know, one, one thing I, one thing I like to, I like to talk about when, when someone asks me why I'm, I'm not so hot on bourbon is it's because it's the same dozen tasting notes that you get every time you taste a bourbon. And, uh, I think with tequila, sometimes it can be the same thing, different category, different tasting notes, but sometimes it can be the same thing. And, and one of the things that I'm tracing as a through line through this entire tasting experience is that I'm getting different tasting notes on your products than I normally get when I taste a tequila expression. So to the extent that that is exciting to someone, to the extent that someone wants to get excited and uh, order a dozen oysters with the Blanco or, you know, ponder the intricacies of the Hoven or um, engage with the wood of the Añejo, I mean, I, I think that that sort of speaks for itself as as a tasting flight. And uh, I couldn't agree more with, um, you know, your approach and, and just the really compelling products that you put out because I, I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not done with any of these. Once we jump off this call, I'm gonna continue nosing and tasting them across the evening. We are betting on you giving us a chance on the experience of taste. Yeah. Um, well, that that's wonderful. What I wanted to wrap up with here um, was a couple questions about okay. um, premium, uh, because obviously you are in the premium category, and I, I don't honestly I don't get a chance to speak with a lot of premium producers because I work in the world of craft. I work with people who are producing small batch spirits, but but at a at a quality level where they're sort of experimenting and just getting their feet off the ground uh, or their feet wet. I'm not quite sure exactly which expression I was going for there, but um, when, when you use the word premium, whether it's in marketing materials or whether it's simply just describing a product, it carries with it a certain connotation. And I was wondering if you might speak a little bit, maybe in defense of the premium category of spirits, because that's not the category that has been selling the fastest during the age of COVID. Everyone has been going to their their favorite, you know, to their tankerays and their their favorite sort of mid-level expressions. And I, wonder, I, I thought this might be a good time to talk about premium, what it means, and um, and why there's value with it. I mean, I not I don't know exactly what it means. I mean, I'm not. My products don't say premium anywhere in the labels. When we describe our products, we just say what we do. And then if we are catalog premium, that's good. Or not. For us, it's more about craftsmanship and uh, quality. Premium, I mean, it's a big question. What does premium mean? I don't know. Exactly. I, I think that's a, a really healthy mindset to take. Uh, it's that, that's, uh, that's a wonderful answer. I'm gonna have to think about that because, uh, you know, I think everyone is so in a hurry to define what it means. Um, so our audience is primarily U S consumers. Um, most of our, I'd say 90% of our listeners reside within the U S I wanted to ask you uh, a couple of questions. One okay. about where in the U S which U S markets, 
uh, people can find these beautiful spirits in. And if they do get to pick them up off the shelves, if, if you have any specific recommendations for the first time you crack open the bottle, whether that is, you know, a dozen oysters with the Blanco or a cigar with the, probably not a, prob, based on you, probably not a cigar with the Añejo, but you see where I'm going with this. No. Hey, listen, cigar, oysters, whatever you decide to do, give us a chance. Just like the one thing that I want you to give us a chance is like, just like sip and savor. I want you to go on a journey of like taste. You give me that chance for three seconds about my job is done. You know, like I just want to make sure that people see tequila in a different light and enjoy it in the same way we produce it. Beautiful. Uh, so what U.S. markets uh, could someone go to and either request that their favorite liquor store pick up your brand or uh, just walk into uh, the store and, and see it on the shelves? Okay, you will see it in New York, Florida, Illinois, Colorado, Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, even in the control I mean, we have much more distribution than we have. But if you ever, you can find it. I'm sorry if I'm not mentioning your state. Just send us an email. Go to our website. Say, hey, by the way, I'm in the middle of here. No one's talking to me. We'll take care of it. I like that. That's a <laughs> that's a very mafioso approach. We'll take care of it. Well, we'll figure out yeah. how to do it. I don't know if I can take care of it. But at the very least, I can actually work on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no that's good. No here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. And it's important to listen to the people, obviously. Um, you know, there's actually a lot of beautiful work being done in control states by uh, people or and groups of people who uh, really care about spirits. So, uh, you know, uh, even if you do live in a control state like Virginia, like Pennsylvania, um, you know, there, there's, there's still things that you can do to make sure that you're getting the spirits that you want. It might take a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, but you know, you can get the spirits that you want. So, um, Berta, I, I want to thank you again for, um, first of all, producing these beautiful spirits. And second of all, uh, walking me through the tasting this evening as we record, um, anything else you want to, uh, tell our listeners before we do a few quick lightning round questions? No, I just want to thank you, Eric, for your passion for the spirits industry, for inviting me to be part of this. And I'm ready for your questioning. All right, let's get to it. What is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite cocktail of all time, what's something that maybe you're more recently obsessed with? Okay, so there is one uh, cocktail right now called Curva Peligrosa, which is kind of like dangerous curves, you know? That's the mm. name of the cocktail, by Jenna Wolfson, which is uh, one ounce of Casarones Añejo, half an ounce of GM VSOP rum, one-fourth one of Toki Japanese, half an ounce of Elisa Craig bourbon, and one bar spoon maple syrup, eight drops of Hausman pumpkin bitters, probably yours, hopefully. Um, that's one. And then they have another cocktail that I love in a drawer, which is called the Micheloma which is a michelama, michelada in a paloma by Pablo Pasti, which is a Argentinian-Mexican um, bartender. It's kind of cool, you know, michelada and paloma together is kind of like fantastic. So yeah, obviously with Casarones Blanco, otherwise yeah. I wouldn't have it that much. Yeah, that's fascinating. So is my, my one question there is where, so it's a, a paloma is uh, grapefruit, and sparkling water and tequila and a little bit of sweet. And then the michelada is beer and then tomato juice. So is it, are all of those ingredients in there somehow? And he just, he just perfects the ratios. Well, we're going to have to call Pablo Pasti. Yeah. Because I know my craft. I'm a tequila producer. I'm not really a great mixologist. So I think, uh, I don't know, with a micheloma, it says, uh, I'm not really sure we should call him. Okay. I'll, we'll, we'll do some digging on our end and we'll see if we can get that recipe. That's, that sounds like a fantastic fusion cocktail. Um, so next question, if you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? 
Tequila. Okay. <laughs> Blanco, Joven, or Añejo? Do I have to choose? No, I suppose not. No. Okay. Yeah. You're just the spirit of tequila. Yes, I am. All right. I love it. Uh, if you could have a cocktail or a glass of one of your beautiful tequilas with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just paint us a picture. Well, the recent elections have really like left a mark on me. So I would love to have a drink with Kamala Harris. And I want to ask her, what are we going to do for female in the beverage industry? Mm -hmm. Does she have any connection to the beverage industry? I'm not quite know. familiar. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do. Certainly a timely thing. Uh, most people, when, when I ask that question, tend to dig up someone who is uh, long since dead and buried. But I always am more fascinated by the people who choose well, living people. Well, the time. And I'm interested in today. So, yes, I want to talk to her. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so to wrap up the lightning round here, do you have any controversial views or beliefs in the spirits and cocktail space? Well, I do believe that I'm trying to prove my case about tequila being able to pair well with food, not Mexican mm -hmm. food, which we know it well, works well, but also like French, Italian, and Japanese cuisine. Me, it's like, I'm gonna prove that every day of the week. I'm gonna just go on my journey and uh, hopefully I have more life than cases so that I can actually prove that. Yeah, uh, I, I had to pick up the, uh, the Blanco as you were saying that. Um, are there any recent food pairings that, uh, that you felt really just hit the mark perfectly? So many, you know, chef's interpretation of what we do it gives life to what we do so i can't even tell you like one or two or three it's more about letting the chefs actually or the sommeliers actually give life to what we do so i don't want to pigeonhole what we're doing it's more about like uh, being curious and uh enabling the people that define taste uh guide us yeah, well, I I will I I will go where you won't and just say get some damn oysters with this with this blanco tequila. It is just screaming for brine and a little bit of a little bit of citrus and uh, I I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get some oysters this weekend and and celebrate this this beautiful spirit myself. So for for anyone who's looking for a place to start, that is it. I don't care if you don't like oysters, you will like oysters if they're with this tequila. Um, so Berta, um, thank you so much for, again, being on the podcast. Uh, can you just share with our listeners how to, uh, get in touch with your brand digitally, whether that's via email or a website, uh, and, uh, of course on social media. So you can get in touch with Casa Dragones at, at Casa Dragones at, you know, at Casa Dragones, or you can get in touch with me directly at Berta Gonzalez N. Um, no, it sucks. It's the worst like name ever. But it's like at Berta B E R T H A Gonzalez N. Um, yeah, that's my name. Um, okay. And if you can't remember that, just contact Casa Dragones. They'll tell you where to go. So mm -hmm. thank you for being here with us tonight, and thank you for supporting our industry. It means a lot to us. So um, Eric, keep on doing what you're doing. We support you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I will certainly try to keep doing it. And you know what? When I've when I've got some beautiful tequila, it certainly certainly helps motivate me. So for everyone who's listening, you can find links and details about what we've discussed on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And uh, we'll also try to put together a list of um U.S. markets where you can head on out to the liquor store and pick up a beautiful bottle of Casa Dragones tequila. Um, and we will talk to you next time here on Modern Bar Cart.
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here. And by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was produced by Edie Frederick, with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, delicious tequila courtesy of Berta Gonzalez Nieves and Casa Dragones Tequila, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.